0: in the summer of 1999, I remember sitting at the kitchen table at my parents' house. I was eating my lunch when the phone rang. That call was about to change my life. It was Professor Sally Carlis from Monash University and she was calling with the news that I had been accepted into the Doctorate of Organizational Psychology program at Monash University. It was my childhood dream to become a psychologist and now here I was about to be accepted into the program that would make that dream a reality. I was one of only five people that was accepted into the program that year, so I should have been jumping for joy. But instead, my first thought upon receiving the call was there must have been an administrative error. My name is Dr. Amantha Imber. I'm an organisational psychologist and the founder of behavioural science consultancy Inventium, and this is How I Work, a show about how to help you do your best work. Now, it turns out there wasn't an administrative error. I went on to become the youngest graduate from the program and register as an organisational psychologist. Now, what I had experienced was a classic case of imposter syndrome, and it turns out that I'm far from being alone in experiencing imposter syndrome, the persistent thought that we are undeserving of our achievements. Scientific research has found that up to 82% of us experienced imposter syndrome, and I reckon the other 18% are probably too scared to admit it. Through the 100 plus interviews I've conducted now for How I Work, many of my guests have shared their experiences with imposter syndrome. So, today, I wanted to share a compilation of some of those interviews, and I hope that if you've been known to think of yourself as an imposter, it might help you rethink or reframe those thoughts. Cyan Ta'id spent many years feeling like she wasn't as intelligent, as capable, and as good as everyone thought she was. This was despite the fact that she co-founded Invato, a Melbourne-based technology company worth over $1 billion. I've known Sian for many years, and when I learned that she regularly suffered from imposter syndrome, I was shocked.
1: I think that I spent a long time feeling like I was trying to cover up, feeling like I wasn't actually as intelligent, as capable, as good as everyone maybe thought I was. You know, I was running, you know, a 50-person team at 27, you know, and, and, you know, deeply inexperienced in doing that and had to learn on the job a lot. And my coping mechanism was to go, uh, "I've well, no, it's okay, I've got it all figured out, when in fact I, you know, I, I didn't. And, um, and then we went through a period where we had a lot of very experienced people coming into the business and I kind of thought, oh, well, I'll step aside. Again, the big the big kids are here now and they said, don't worry, we got this, we know how to do this. And then realising that actually, oftentimes, unfortunately, they didn't and that there was something different about the way I was doing it, which was helpful and useful and, and you know better in some cases. So I I kind of had to figure out what it was that was going on with me. I think especially, you know, the tech VC world in the US, they talk a big game. I never did. What did that mean about me? You know, it was was one of those things where I felt like I really needed to address it and there was a few things I did, a few steps that I went through. Um, The first thing was is that I went and looked around me to people who, uh, people that I just felt like had a really natural confidence around them. And honestly, those two people, my best friend, Natalie Tam and my husband, like honestly, just naturally confident, you know, chilled out, you know, just I wanted to emulate the two of them. Not to say that they thought they could do everything, I just, I felt like they, I felt like they were very effective in that they never worried about asking questions that might make them look stupid. They never worried about that and I always worried about that. So I needed to shift my thinking from wanting to seem like the smartest person in the room to wanting to leave the room being the smartest person in the room. And it, was, it meant that I needed to ask questions constantly and I needed to not care whether it made me look like an idiot. I think I also needed to start saying yes to opportunities even when they really scared me because for a long time I kind of tried to avoid um, failing really. And um, and I had to get really used to and comfortable failing all the time and figuring out how to cope with that. And the more I did it, the less it became about me and the more it became about the concept that I was just trying to do really hard things. And that when you try and do really hard things that someone's never done before, oftentimes you fail. And honestly, like I can tell you, I'm probably about 10 startups in, all up. And there's a lot you haven't heard about and don't know about because they didn't succeed and I closed them down. I went, mean, oh, that didn't work, all right. Better shut that down and keep on going. And I think the final step, the final piece of the puzzle for me, and again, it's making it sound like I've got this completely figured out, which I don't, but the most, the most effective thing I did overall was I got really clear about where I was weak and where I was strong. So I think, you know, when you have... Imposter syndrome, and I'm basing this anecdotally on other people that I've spoken to, um, which I think is, is a fairly human universal issue. The more and more time that goes on, I believe that. One tends to, the whole concept of where you're weak is so scary, you never look that way. And I think I had this idea in my mind that I needed to be incredibly strong in all areas. Again, I had to be this machine who was as right brained as I was left brained, and you know, and just had to know everything and I think I realised that that was impossible and I was setting totally unrealistic expectations on myself and again not treating myself with a great deal of compassion and I decided that I needed to have a really critical look, learn where I was really strong but also learn where I was really weak because I can adjust for my weaknesses, I can hire, I hire out my weaknesses now, I, I find people who balance me out and, um, and that can kind of adjust. I'm a very left-brained person. I So I need, I need the left brains around me because they do absolutely incredible work and I think most people, if they're left-brained, will hire other left brains. I need guns of right brains. I need operational guns around me. And I think once I realised where I specifically could add value and where I just needed to get out of the way and find really strong people and trust them, that really... That really helped me. It gave me a lot of space to be really good at what I did, and freed me up from constantly beating myself and being beating myself up and being worried about the areas where I was weak. Mm.
0: You you mentioned self talk a, a couple of times, mm-hmm. and uh, like if, even just before, like we, we were about to start, you know, re- recording or do, doing what we're doing. Um, you know, you mentioned that you were feeling nervous. I yeah. hope it's okay for me to say. Yeah, like, course. what is what is your self talk before? Things like this, and like your approach, I guess, to overcoming the nerves that you might be feeling, which I must say shocks me um, because <laughs> it's like, you got this, like, you're awesome. Yeah, but.
1: I think that I genuinely just, I, I wouldn't say that I get downright nervous anymore, but I was saying to a couple of people that I know before I came in, I was like, oh, I find it, I'm finding it difficult to hold, to conduct a conversation with you right now because my head is so in like mentally preparing myself and I think that it is for me it's all about all right well I genuinely want to be really present in this conversation because I recognize that people are giving up an hour of their time and have woken up early in the morning and everything else to be here and it's it's about me providing hopefully providing some value (laughs) in this conversation and it being an interesting conversation Um, So I think I'm, I I used to get exceptionally nervous and a couple of things really helped. Um, Once I was on a panel and the interviewer asked a very, very complicated question and the woman next to me, and I was freaking out, like, I don't know how to answer this, oh my goodness. And the woman next to me said, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to that question. Can you come back to me? And I thought, that's a great answer. (laughs) That is a perfectly reasonable answer position to take um, and again that thing about you don't need to know everything you don't need to be the the authority on everything which to me has been very very freeing and very helpful um, and um, and the other thing uh was yeah again you know I was about to go on stage the I was talking to you about this particular event. I was telling this story that because we were putting the mic on and I said that I went to an AFR event which was just the whole audience was journos, like 300 of them, and I was wearing this big flowy yellow dress and they said we've got to put, we've got to like, they, they do this thing where they like hook the mic into your belt but I didn't have a belt. So they were like, what are you, you going to do with this? So I'm like standing at the back in kind of the audiovisual area pulling up my dress and trying to stuff it into my underpants. It was like just... <laughs> Just, like, not not the most empowering way to start an event. Um, But anyway, going up, the journalist said to me, she said, oh, okay, we're going to talk about, I'd really like to ask you this question about what's this new ruling with listed companies? This new ruling with listed companies, what does it mean? Invita's not a listed company. It is not an area of interest for me at all, like literally not even slightly. And I could feel my heart starting to, you know, boom, 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 imposter syndrome, I'm going to be found out, they're going to realise I shouldn't be here, this is going to be super embarrassing. And instead, I just turned around and I said to her, listen, you're very welcome to ask me that question, but I honestly have no idea. I have no idea what the answer is, so I will literally just stay on stage. so sorry, we're not listed, this isn't an area of interest for me, you should ask someone else. And... (laughs) Again, they sound like really little things, but really helpful in, in times you know, in times like that where you're kind of there's pressure and you're on stage and you kind of you wanna you wanna perform and be useful.
0: If you saw Dom Price speak at a conference, you would assume that he is the most confident person in the room. He is very tall and has a booming voice and leads research and development for Atlassian, one of the biggest technology companies on the planet. Yet Dom experiences imposter syndrome every single day.
2: Oh, every single day. Like, I do an amazing job of hiding it. I have I have the best mask uh, of anyone I know, um, and and I use my confidence and my outgoing nature and a lot of things. I have like my artillery to kind of handle that. Um, but you know, I, I was I was on stage. I did an event with Amazon um, earlier this year in ICC, and and even though I knew it was in the convention center, I didn't realize it was in the main hall. I arrived and there's there's ten thousand people filtering into the room, and I've got a twenty minute keynote, and I'm like, I have no right to be here. Um, there's nine thousand, ten thousand like highly technical. C-suite senior leaders who really know their stuff. The people that went on before me had invented artificial intelligence and robotics. Like there's young geniuses, there's young entrepreneurs, and I'm like, I'm a fraud. And and you get yeah, all those thoughts go through, and you're like, you know what? They've asked me to be here. I've got my 20 minutes, and I'm going to deliver it. And, and I'll own it, and if it doesn't go well, I'll listen to the feedback. And if it does go well, I'll ignore the feedback. Um, and, and it went amazingly well. Of course, it went amazingly well. It was always going to, but that that sort of feeling of, of I'm out of my depth, uh, I'm going to get caught out, someone's going to knock on the door and say, your time's up, mate. You know, you've you've had a good run. Uh, you, you've been caught out. And, and I think it's, it's a weird one because it's part of, I think when you acknowledge it and, and you embrace it, it's actually a massive intrinsic motivator to continually push and evolve uh and 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 listen deeply to feedback and and it's ironic that i think a lot of people see it as you know if you've got imposter syndrome you need to stop listening to the you know to the devil voice or or to the negativity and and actually i go seeking that out now it's i don't know if i'm a glutton for punishment but yeah, you know, I, I got some feedback this morning from an event I did in the U.S. recently, and I ignored all the four and fives out of fives and straight, went straight to the ones and twos because I wanted to know what people hated about it. And so, yeah, I, I don't know whether it's a, 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 a sign of madness or maverickness, but I actually now go looking for some of the, that detractor statements because that enables me to say, I'm in charge of this. Uh, I'm in control of me and I'm in control of my destination. And of course there's externalities and things will always go wrong, but in the long run, I'm, I'm going to be all right. And if I if I keep my eyes and ears open and listen to what's happening in the world, then I'll be prepared to handle that next time. So all I can do is continually improve myself and listen and adapt and adopt. And if I do that, I've got a chance. And the minute I shut down and try and be a singular version of me or stop listening Um, or or get so arrogant and so bought up in my own story that I don't actually take account of others, then that's when all the wheels fall off. So I think as long as the mindset's there, it can be managed and it it doesn't need to be something that causes paralysis. It can be something that actually motivates and, and spurs you on.
0: So how, how do you do that? Like reading through those ones and twos and feeling excited almost to read through those as opposed to completely demoralized. Like what what strategies are you using so that you don't just fall in a heap? Um, like is it self-talk? Like what, what's what's going on in your head then?
2: Yeah, there's a couple of things. One is, one is kind of the, the generic platitude of, of I'm never going to be someone like with my style and, and the stories I've got, I know – It's highly unlikely for me to be in a large room and for everyone to like what I say. Um, and, And if I wanted that as an objective, I probably shouldn't be doing the job I'm doing on the topic i'm talking about because i'm talking about things that often make people uncomfortable i talk about robots and automation and changes in roles i talk about diversity and inclusion i talk about privilege i talk about innovation and how we don't actually do it well i talk about the future of work and all the change that we're not ready for and all these heritage businesses that are going to be dysfunctional or, or or just not exist because they're so stuck in the past and people find that challenging they internalize it It's confronting, and I know it's always going to take a few people over the edge. So I'm not aiming for five out of five. I think I could change, in theory, I could change my style and my delivery and get a five out of five. I don't think that would make me any happier. I think that would make me generically worse. And so once I've accepted that I'm not going to sit on the fence, therefore my audience won't sit on the fence, I have to accept that I'm going to get that mixture. And so the trick for me is I'm actually looking for the constructive comments, which are actionable. So if someone just, and I had some of these today, someone just writes, I don't like what you talked about. I'm like, cool, nothing I can do about that. Like, that's your view, my view, they're different, jog on. What I'm looking for are the people saying, here's what I wanted to take away, but here's what I I got instead. So I'm like, okay, cool. My bio and brief didn't match what I delivered in the talk. I can go back and look at that. Or someone who said that I spoke too quickly or I confused them with one of my points, I can go back and improve on that. So what I'm looking for there are the insights that help me get better, not the negative Nancys or negative Noras that are just sat there going, I didn't like it. Because you're always going to get a few people who fold their arms and just say, computer says no. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm going to choose to ignore those because that's not actionable. You've had your vent, good on you. And we're actually going to focus my time on the people that put their energy into giving me a constructive comment. And that's something that I can work on.
0: When I interviewed Broad City creator, writer, and star Abby Jacobson on How I Work about a year or two ago now, I think my stomach was doing somersaults. I have been a huge fan of Abby's work for years, and I'd read that she had a severe case of imposter syndrome during the early seasons of Broad City, and I remember being curious as to whether she still experienced
3: it. I think it goes in and out where I feel way more confident now in actually being good at what I do. But then again, I'll be at a thing uh, like an event or a panel or something and I'll be taken completely right back there where I'm like, what am I doing here? Why does anyone care what I have to say about this topic? And, or if I'm like on a set, you know, I get, I I get very nervous before performances or new things. And I, while that still is, you know, doubting myself and, and, you know, feeling that like some, I'm going to be like exposed for not being (laughs) good or, or, or actually, um, I think it's good to have a little bit of that is what I'm saying, where I get I'm happy that I still get very nervous, even if I maybe shouldn't be like if I have nothing to be nervous about, like I totally should be on this panel of writers or I should be giving a talk, you know, at this event. Like if there ever was a day where I was like, yeah, I fucking should be here. It's like, fuck you. I don't want to be like that. Like I want to always be looking at myself and and questioning, you know, where I am right now in my career and and sort of measuring like how far I've come and and know that there's still so much farther to go. So like even if I am really confident in what I'm doing right now and and the projects I'm working on, I still can be so much better. So there still is that
0: I think that's really interesting that you kind of embrace it when you're feeling that imposter syndrome and that nerves are a good thing. I guess it says that, you know, you care and also that you're not becoming this complete arrogant monster.
3: Yeah, and, like, I know those people. And I know people that are like that. And I just, I feel like I'm like, if you're like that when you're alone by yourself, I think, like, all the time, I think that there's something wrong. I think you need to kind of check yourself because I, listen, I, I do want to be more kind of outwardly confident. Sometimes I feel like I'm showing my cards a little too much of with my insecurities. It changes every day for me. I think.
0: I first met Wendy Stops when we shared the stage at a conference for Commonwealth Bank of Australia, the biggest company in all of the nation, with a market cap of around $150 billion. And Wendy sits on the board of ComBank as a non-executive director. She's also on the board of Coles Group and fitted for work. So basically, she's a bit of a powerhouse. And despite this, Wendy still has moments of feeling like an imposter. What have been the best pieces of advice that you've received that have you know had a big impact on how you've approached things around work?
4: Yeah, it's interesting because um, people always ask you, did you have mentors? I never really had mentors in my career. Um, and it's surprising I found out how many other people were exactly the same actually. But I, I always, I, I guess... I don't know that it's so much advice that's been given to me, but it's more as things that I've learnt over time. And when people ask me, you know, particularly the younger generation today as they're sort of working their way up their ladder, and I think the younger generation today is a little bit more susceptible to, oh, well, I don't like that so I'll go find another job or I'll, you know, do this. Whereas in, I guess back in my day, you're kind of stuck with things, you know, for a while. But the the things I always say to people, some of the key tips I give them is firstly, do your job and do it well. That's square one. You don't get anywhere by not doing your job well. And, and people say, well, that's obvious. And I'm like, no, well, it's not obvious because when I say do your job and do it well, I mean whatever you're asked to do, do it and do it well. So if you ask to go and photocopy 200 pages, you show them you're the best damn photocopy that they've ever seen, you know? Um, So, you know, don't whinge about the things that are a bit boring or whatever. Every job has good bits and bad bits or whatever, and you've just got to do them all well. That's my theory. Um, And then, you know, if you're doing your base job well, um, you get noticed, for starters, if you're doing it well. Um, but again then gives you a license to use a little bit of creativity or a little bit of innovation or put up your hand and I say to people, just volunteer for things that are just not outside the day-to-day job. So, you know, someone wants someone to help with the annual Christmas party or you know, volunteer, or someone you know, I remember years ago I was I'd come back from a stint overseas and I come back and I went onto his account. Um, I was a consultant then I went on to this account and there's a few of us on there and I noticed that we hadn't done like a um, an account plan for that account so I asked the person who was leading the account um, would you mind if I help yeah, no no go ahead you know I mean I did that and it wasn't less than 12 months later I was actually running the account right mm. so because then to the to the boss, I was the obvious successor because I was switched on to what we needed and, you know, whatever, whereas everyone else was just doing their day job, you know. So I always say to people, just stick your neck out a little bit, but you can't do that if you're not doing your job well, to start. <laughs> stick your neck out, volunteer, do some things. Don't do it to the point where you can't do your job well, but enough that you get noticed and you expose yourself to more people in the organisation. Um, because... When it comes to promotion times and things like that, you just don't want the sole voice that's speaking for you. You want multiple people to speak for you. So, sort of being out there a little bit, you know. Um, so, there's some of the base, the basic advice that I give people. I mean, I could probably sit here for an hour and reel off a few more, but but they're the base ones that I say that you've just got to get right and stick yourself out there and put your hand up and do some things.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. And like you said, they're like, the, there's actually. Probably not that many people that do their job well and every part of their job and embrace even the seemingly more menial or less challenging parts with the with the same vigour that they will approach. Well, the Well I've parts always that said to
4: people the bad times are the best times because you learn so much in those bad times. It then makes you a better person for the next job or the next, you know, career or whatever it may be. Um, So, you know, you asked me before about the tough times with Royal Commission and whatever. Um, Yes, it's been tough, but I've learnt a lot as well. And I am now, you know, even more switched on (laughs) with, with not just that board but my other boards as well, you know, with various things. So I'm a great believer in learning from the bad times. And don't just bail. You know, some people just want to bail. Oh, it's tough. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go. No, 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 stick it out. Because you'll learn so much, you'll come out the other end much stronger, much tougher, and you'll be, a, you know, a better in, in terms of moving
0: your career. Oh, yeah. God, I couldn't agree more. The, the hard times with Inventium have been where the most powerful lessons have come from for me. Exactly. That is it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed this compilation of people talking about imposter syndrome. If you know somebody who is perhaps suffering from a bit of imposter syndrome, you might want to share this episode with them. Maybe it will help them feel better about it and maybe give them some ideas for reframing it in their own mind. How I Work is produced by Inventium with production support from Deadset Studios. And thank you to Martin Imber, who did the audio mix and makes everything sound better than it would have otherwise. Next week on How I Work, I am so excited to have one of my favorite guests of all time back, the amazing Adam Grant, who is an organizational psychologist, professor at Wharton, best selling author, and just all around amazing person. We will be getting into how to rethink your thoughts, how to make better decisions and all sorts of other practical science-based advice. So please join me for that and hit subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast so you'll be alerted when that episode drops. See you next time.